Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Tonight, I want to share with you a message entitled Genuine Faith. Genuine Faith. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this evening for your presence here in our lives. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus and the holy written word that unveils to us all that he has done for us in your great redemptive plan. We thank you for the Holy Ghost to on our ears, hearts, and minds to receive the truth of your word in a glorious, life-changing way. We commit, dear Father, to be doing, being doers of the word and not hearers only, honoring you as we let our light shine among men that they might see our good works and glorify you, our Father in heaven. Thank you for anointing my lips of clay, and thank you that you make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer to proclaim truth with power and demonstration to penetrate our very whole hearts and souls to challenge us to walk with you in higher places. We'll give you all the glory, dear Father God, for the changes in all of our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen and amen. Praise God. Our first text is going to be Hebrews in chapter 6 and verse 12 this evening. And notice the text that says that you be not slothful or lazy, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice the promises of God are ours, but they're inherited through faith and patience. And we're told to be followers of those that have already done so. So in other words, we could go to Hebrews chapter 11. We could look at the Faith Hall of Fame and see all these individuals that have lived for the Lord. They've departed from this life. They're with Him in glory in the grandstands of heaven. And we can basically follow the faith that they had when they walked here upon the earth and achieve great things in our lives as they did in theirs. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4 also we discover that the gospel message is a wonderful message, but it doesn't benefit anybody if they don't mix faith with it. So it's essential and important that we mix faith with the message of the gospel. Unbelief is what kept the Israelites out of the promised land. We have an inheritance and we have promises as well. And we've been warned that if we don't mix faith with the gospel message, then we will not experience the promises of God either. So it's important that we recognize this. For example, you take uh, King Agrippa. King Agrippa was preached the gospel message by the apostle Paul. And Paul got done preaching the message. You know what he said? Paul, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. In other words, the faith was there for him to become a Christian, but he didn't become a Christian, which means he didn't in inherit the promises of God. Why? Because of unbelief. You see, faith is not just an intellectual power. It is a spiritual power in our hearts, not just in our minds. Now, I want to share with you a little bit of a testimony about John G. Lake, who uh, was a missionary to South Africa in the early 1900s. Uh, this man is responsible for founding probably around 500 churches throughout his stay there in Africa. One time when he was there during a span, 
the bubonic plague broke out and many people died. Similar to what we're experiencing here with COVID-19. But he was one that was there caring for these people. Also burying their dead. As time went on, the British sent some supplies on a ship to where they were. Doctors came. A team of doctors came. And when they contacted Brother Lake, they asked him the question, how is it that you have protected yourself and what are you doing to protect yourself from contracting the bubonic plague? And his answer was quite stunning to them. And many of them didn't believe it. But he said, I've got divine protection. And that divine protection is based on Romans chapter 8 and verse 2, which reads, Romans chapter 8 and verse 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, we see two laws here that are at work in the earth today. One is the law of life that is in Christ Jesus, and one is the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death, of course, is a destructive law. Sin brought death into the world, and so that we have all sinned, and we're all going to die physically. But there's a higher law called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that liberates us from the law of sin and death, enables us to overcome it. To give you an example, it would be like the law of gravity and the law of, say, aerodynamic law or the law of thrust and lift. We know the law of gravity works without question. But there's a higher law called the law of aerodynamics. And when it's set in motion, an airplane will fly right up above it and basically mock it, if you will. If that law ever stopped working, that plane's going to come back down. But it's a higher law that overrides the lower law of gravity. Well, the higher law of life that is in Christ Jesus was something that he studied and something that he embraced. As a matter of fact, what he did was operated in such a way that the power of God was in manifestation in and through his life in a glorious way. Now, these doctors didn't believe what he was telling them. And so what he did was provide for them an experiment. He said, I want you to take some of the foam that flows out of the mouth of those that have died. And I want you to take a sample of it and put it under your microscope and tell me what you see. And they did that. And they stuck it under the microscope. And what they saw was a bunch of living germs. Bacteria, germs. Well, he said, now I want to do the same thing, but I want to use my hand to take some of that same foam that came out of their mouths, put it under a microscope, and when he did, he said, what do you see? They said, it's amazing. All the germs died upon contact when they touched your hand. They died. They couldn't believe it, but they saw it with their own eyes. Now, Recently, this particular testimony has been used today to basically tell some people that, look, if John G. Lake could do that and achieve that degree of faith, then we too, being faith people, should operate in the same kind of faith and experience the same kind of results. And you should therefore have to disregard, let's say, all that the CDC has asked us to do, social distancing, or physical distancing, if you will. And it doesn't matter if you gather together. And so on. Now also some pastors even stated the fact that we're not going to stop having our church services. One said, unless I'm taken to jail. One said, unless I'm in a hospital. I'm going to continue having our gathering and congregating here at the church. 
which is their prerogative if they, if they want to do that. But basically they were saying if you're a church and you don't do what he's talking about, then you're soft or you don't have much faith. Well, before I even respond to that, I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29 from the message translation of the Bible. And here's what it says. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried it and drowned. Notice, it was an act of faith that the Israelites went across the Red Sea. Notice this important statement on dry ground. A seabed is not dry. But through the power of God, the waters were congealed. And the seabed was dried up by the power of God. And the Israelites walked across successfully to the other side. Now the Egyptians attempted to do the same thing. And when they attempted to do the same thing or mimic the faith of the Israelites, they all drowned. So we understand that the Israelites were operating in faith. But the Egyptians were operating in foolishness. Foolishness or presumption is not faith. You see, the Israelites, they had their faith based on the inspiration of God's word. If you recall the story, the Egyptians were chasing them down as they fled Egypt. They had the mountains on the other side of them. And then they had the river or the ocean in front of them, the Red Sea. And so they cried out to Moses for help. Moses cried out to God for help. And God said to Moses, don't look to me, stretch forth the rod. And when he stretched forth the rod, the waters congealed and the ground dried up. And they went across it. So they were in faith because they were inspired by the word of God. They followed a mandate of God. But the Egyptians, they didn't do that. They were acting in foolishness and presumption. And of course, as a result, they lost their lives. Now, my point is this. John G. Lake achieved a level of faith that many men and women will never, ever achieve. Few have ever achieved this level of understanding. His faith was developed when he got an insight or an understanding of the redemptive work of Christ and his finished work upon Calvary's cross. He looked into it deeply. And then over a process of time through trial and error, he discovered through intimacy with God, how to operate in this law of life in Christ Jesus. And if you'll study his ministry, you'll find out tremendous signs, wonders, and miracles took place as a result of his efforts. Well, even though we believe, and even though we're a faith church, and even though there are many faith churches in the world today, and even though we believe in divine healing and health, it doesn't mean that we're at a place where we need to be to stand against something like this without having a better understanding of our redemptive rights in Christ. And so it's important that we understand our need to do everything we possibly can, spiritually, physically, uh, medically, to stand against the onslaught of the enemy. We must continue to stand against COVID-19 in Jesus' name, believing those powers are dispelled by the power of God. We must also continue to cooperate with each other and do what we possibly can to see to it that we don't spread the virus to somebody else. And so we are cooperating with the CDC and doing our part to see to it that as a result of doing our part, it's limited as far as we're concerned around here. And so I don't believe that we are a weak church in faith. I believe we're a strong church in faith. But I also believe that God's word teaches us some principles. And these principles are these. 
that we do everything we possibly can to see to it that we even help out those that are weaker in faith because if you consider yourself stronger in faith, the mandate is for us to walk in love and help the ones that aren't where you're at. Now, just to give you an illustration or an example of the commitment that uh, John G. Lake made, just to give an understanding of how he developed this kind of faith in his life, I want to read to you what he calls his consecration as a Christian. This is from his book, Adventures in God. And listen to what he says, because this is really where the rubber meets the road. This is how one really develops the kind of faith he's talking about. Number one, all principles, number one, all the things earthly that I possess shall not be considered my own, but belonging to my heavenly Father and shall be held in trust by me to the use, to be used and directed by the wisdom of the Spirit of God as the law of love of men as Christ loved them may dictate. If at any time God should raise up men wiser than myself, I will gladly commit my all to their use and turn over all my possessions to them for distribution. If at any time in my life I should be engaged in an earthly business and should employ men to aid me in conducting it, I shall reward them justly and equally comparing their own energy expended with my own after adding a sufficient amount to my own to cover all the risks that may be involved in the operation of my business. I shall consider my employees my equals with rights to, be, uh, to the blessings of nature and life equal to my own. I shall not strive to elevate myself to a position of comfort above the rest of my employees and shall direct all my efforts to bring all mankind to an equal plane where all enjoy the comforts of life and fellowship together. Principle number two. I shall not cease to cry to God and implore him to deliver mankind from the effects of sin so long as sin lasts, but shall cooperate with God in the redemptive uh, process of mankind. I will have seasons of prayer and fasting in behalf of mankind, weeping and bewailing their lost condition and imploring God to grant them repentance unto life as the Spirit of God may lead me. Principle number three. I shall live my life in meekness, never defending my own personal rights, but shall leave all judgment to God who judges righteously and rewards all according to their works. I shall not remember or, or render evil for evil or railing for railing, but shall bless all and do good to enemies in return for evil. By God's grace, I shall keep all hardness and harshness out of my life and actions, but shall be gentle and unassuming, not professing above what God has imparted to me, nor lifting myself above the brethren. Principle number four, I shall consider righteous acts as more necessary to life and happiness than food and drink, and not let myself be uh, bribed or coerced into any unrighteous action for any earthly consideration. Principle number five, by God's grace, I will always be merciful, forgiving those who have transgressed against me and endeavoring to correct the ills of humanity instead of merely punishing them for their sins. Number six, I shall not harbor any impure thoughts in my mind, but shall endeavor to make my every act uplifting. I shall regard my procreative organs sacred and holy and never use them for any purpose other than that which God created them for. I shall regard the home as sacred and always guard my actions in the presence of the opposite sex. 
so as not to cause a man and his wife to break their vows to one another. I shall be chaste with the opposite sex who are married, considering them as sisters. I shall be careful not to cause them undue pain by playing on their affections. Number seven, I will always strive to be a peacemaker, first by being peaceful myself and avoiding all unfruitful contentions and treating all with justice and regarding their rights and their free agency, never trying to force any to my point of view. If I should offend anyone, unkno anyone knowingly, I shall immediately apologize. I will not scatter evil reports about any person and so try to, def to defame their character or repeat things that I am not certain of being true. I will strive to remove the curse of strife among brethren by acting as a peacemaker. And finally, principle number eight. I shall not become discouraged when I am persecuted on account of the righteousness mentioned above, nor murmur on account of any suffering I undergo, but shall gladly give my life rather than depart from this high standard of life, rejoicing because I know I have a great reward in heaven. I shall strive to make the above principles the ideal of all the world and give my life and energy to see mankind get the power from God to practice the same. This was the commitment of the man, John G. Lake. And before he went to South Africa, the man had a business and gave up everything that he had at that time, sold it all, gave it to the poor, and acted upon and fulfilled the call of God upon his life to leave everything else behind because all he wanted was God in his life. And so when we say, yes, it's attainable, it's achievable, without a doubt. But the consecration and the de dedication of his life is what enabled him to operate in the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus to such a level that the bubonic plague couldn't even touch him or exist on his body. Now with that in mind, I want to share with you another testimony. You may have read this on the internet, I don't know. But Bishop Gerald Glenn, pastor of the New Deliverance Evangelistic Church near Richmond, Virginia, recently preached a message about God being larger than coronavirus. Now, he continued in his church to have meetings and church services, ignoring the recommendations of the CDC. In March, it was discovered that he contracted COVID-19. As a result, on April the 11th, four days ago, he died. He was the one that said, I will not stop having church until I'm jailed or in the hospital. And just to let you know, we continue to lift his family up before the Lord, not only because of his passing, the congregation because of his passing, but also due to the fact that his wife also now has COVID-19. His three children have COVID-19. And so does his son-in-law. And we can only imagine how many people, if he shook hands with or greeted other people during the church services during that time, also possibly could be with COVID-19. Once again, we're not nullifying anybody's faith. But faith is not just saying something like God is larger than COVID-19. We know that he is. It's not a matter of God being greater. It's a matter of understanding our level of faith to know that we can walk in this high level of faith and we can be inspired by God to do what he calls us to do. And so how sad it is that many probably 
are probably right now wondering whether or not they have contracted COVID-19. Right now, let's lift up this church, this family. Father, we thank you so much for this family as they've lost their pastor, father, husband, father-in-law, and for all the congregants, the church members that are there that might be right now facing COVID-19. We stand in support of them. We lift them up before your throne. And we believe for your hand to flow in a mighty way by your spirit upon them to drive it out of their bodies, those that have been diagnosed with it, enabling them to be restored to health and wholeness and well-being and soundness of mind. We speak against fear in Jesus' name and command that it leave. But enable them to rise up in true faith, take hold of the promises of God, and overcome in this time of their lives. We stand in agreement, dear Father God, with this family with this church body for victory in Jesus' name, amen and amen. In Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, we have two very important scriptures at this time. In verse 23, we have what is called the law of faith. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. In verse 24, we have the law, of, um, the prayer of faith. Therefore, I say unto you what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. These are two powerful verses of scripture that reveal to us the law of faith and also the prayer of faith. The law of faith says, speak to your mountain. Make a declaration of your faith. When Jesus and his disciples were out there on the sea and a storm arose, they woke him up and said, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? We're dying and you don't care. Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind, the waves, and the sea. They heard him and they obeyed him and there was a calm. And of course, they all marveled at what manner of man this is, that he could speak to the wind, waves, and the sea, and they would obey him. And he said to them, why is it that you have no faith? Implying that they too could have done the same thing if they understood the authority that they were given. And of course, as they continued walking with him, they learned more about it. But Jesus went on to teach them about the law of faith and how it works. And he said, look, you've got to speak to your mountain. You've got to speak to that tree. Whatever it might be that's standing between you and victory, you've got to speak to it. We believe in giving medicine. We believe in using natural cures. But what about what Jesus taught? Speak to it. If it's COVID-19, I speak to you in the name of Jesus. And I command you to leave my body. Or I deny your right to live in my body. Or, even better yet, I stand against it. And I say no plague will come nigh my dwelling or my family. Father, thank you for making hard the bars of our gates and protecting our family from within. We, in Jesus' name, believe that we are divinely cared for and protected. Proclaiming it, declaring it, that's the law of faith. The prayer of faith is, I believe I receive my healing. I thank you that I have it right now. I may not see it, I may not feel it, but I believe you heard me. I believe I receive it. I believe I have it. This is how faith operates. But I learned this many years ago under the ministry of Kenneth Hagin going to his school in Rainbow Bible Training Center in, in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, 
And what a blessing it was because I can't begin to tell you how many miracles I've encountered and experienced as a result of applying this law of faith and the prayer of faith. But another testimony of an individual goes like this. This individual heard about Kenneth Hagin's testimony of healing. And if you don't know it, he was born with a heart condition. He was born premature, way back in the 19, early 1900s. He was born premature. He also had an incurable blood disease. And then by the age of 16, after going through Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, it was stated that he's not going to be able to live past 16, 17 years of age. He'll get paralysis will set in, and then eventually he'll die. And at the age of 16, he was bedfast paralyzed from the waist down. And exactly what they were saying was going to happen to him began to happen to him. While he was there in that state, lying on his bed, he picked up a Bible and began to read it. Long story short, he got to Mark 11, 23 and 24. And after much meditation on those two verses, he made a decision that, hey, I've never run, played like other children. I've never had the privilege of even living. And here I am dying Lord, if you meant what you said, I'm going to take you at your word and I'm going to declare that I receive healing right now for the blood disease. I receive healing from my heart. I receive healing from paralysis and I'm thanking you that I'm healed by the stripes that Jesus bore for me. One day, as he continued through faith and patience declaring that he was restored to health, he spoke to the Lord and said, Lord, if you were standing right here in front of me and you told me, I don't believe I would have to say with all due respect, you're lying about it, Lord. I believe I receive my healing. At that point, the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, well, if you're healed, then well people aren't sleeping or lying in bed at this hour of the day. He took that as his cue. Even though his legs were paralyzed, he got the bedpost with his arm. And after throwing one leg down, the other leg down, like stumps hit the ground, he pulled himself up on the bedpost. And as he did... He said it was like warm molasses hit me on the top of my head, went all the way down my body, tingling became, once again, restored to my legs, and he began to walk around the room completely healed. Went back to the doctors. He was cured of the blood disease. He was cured of the heart disease and, of course, no longer paralyzed. And from that point on, he preached the gospel almost 70 years. He preached the gospel of faith and healing because that was his calling. Now, this individual I'm talking about, he also had a very serious situation in his body. And here's what he did. He was told to lie in bed. He was told not to get up, not to go anywhere, because if you exert yourself, you can die. While he was lying there on his bed, he said to himself, well, if Kenneth Hagin can do it, I can do it also. So he got out of bed. He began to walk. He took a few steps. And fell over dead as a result. And why am I saying this? Because you see, genuine faith is faith that belongs to you. It's faith that was born out of an intimate relationship with God. It is not mimicking somebody else's faith. It's not doing what somebody else did. It's not dipping in the river seven times because you weren't told to do that. It's not going washing in the pool of Siloam because you weren't told to do that. It is following those kinds of faith actions, but the faith must come from within the heart of the individual person through meditation of the word, through sitting intimacy, in intimacy with God before the throne, 
And then allowing the Spirit of God to take a verse of Scripture, quick it in your heart, or give you a mandate. Speak to that situation or whatever it might be. It could come by a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. It can come various different ways. An angel can bring you a, a message that will enable you to rise up in faith. But the point is, we don't do it apart from God. This is what God is telling us to do. And as I said, in this church, we made a decision that we are going to take our stand and do our part. We're going to believe God and stand strong against this virus. We're going to also follow the social distancing and all that. And we're believing, I'm believing with all my heart, when we get together once again, we are going to have a Holy Ghost full of the glory of God meeting as we join ourselves together and just experience the electrical power of God manifesting in a glorious, powerful way here in our midst. We believe to see it. So, this individual was not walking out his faith. He was trying to borrow somebody else's faith. And this is what really gives the message of faith the bad name. It's up to us to do our homework. It's up to us to be like a John G. Lake and make our dedication and say, this is what your word said. Help me walk it out. Help me live it out, Lord. And I'll tell you what. He'll tell you to do certain things. And that's your basis for faith or your foundation for faith. And you'll be able to do it. Now look at the book of Romans chapter 15, if you wouldn't mind, verses 1 and 2. This is once again from the Message Bible. And look what it says. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter. And not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? Now, that verse comes off the heels on the heels of chapter 14. In that chapter, chapter 14, Paul talked about individual faith. He said, look, and you have to remember this coming from a Jewish perspective. They weren't allowed to eat ham and pork and you know all that. Well, now that they're Christians, now that they're born again, washed in the blood of the Lamb, all that has changed. Jesus spoke to Peter and said, don't call what I've cleansed unclean. You could eat anything you want right now, as long as you give thanks and eat it in faith. Well, some of the Jewish believers didn't believe that. They couldn't basically do it. They refused to do it. They didn't want to eat the meats that they weren't supposed to eat before they became Christians. Others who Paul considered to be stronger in faith said, you know what? Jesus cleansed them. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm able to do it. And so they did it. Well, Paul said, you that have stronger faith because you can do it, you can walk it out, and you know it's true? Wonderful. But these here, even though they don't do it, they're honoring God with their faith because you see, they're not eating it under the Lord. And so they're using their faith where they're at, at that level. So those people there, you're to honor them. Don't criticize them. Don't belittle them. Don't put them down for that. But you know what? Embrace them. Help them. Help them grow to rise up to the place where you're at in faith. And the other ones, don't criticize those that are stronger in their faith and just say, you know, who do you think you are? Some high and mighty holy roller or whatever. Don't talk like that. They're walking in and operating in the faith that they have because they've studied the Word of God. They know the Word of God. And they're walking out their faith. And so even as today, there might be those that are stronger in faith and just say, I think we can meet. I think we can get together. I'm not afraid of that. And that's a wonderful thing. But the Bible says we're to honor those 
that are not at that level or at that place. We're to keep them in mind and see to it that our church isn't an agent of death. I wouldn't want to have that on my shoulders, would you? We don't want to be an agent of death. And so praise God, we're doing our part. And we believe if we'll do our part and cooperate with everybody and God's going to do his part, we're going to be divinely protected, praise God. And we're going to get back together again and have a wonderful time in Jesus. Look in Genesis chapter 33. This kind of points out what I'm saying. And this is from the New Living Translation. Esau said, let's gather together and let's get out of here and we're going to go at this pace down the road. But Jacob replied, and these are leaders, remember. Man, you can see, my Lord, that some of the children are very young and the flocks and herds have their young too. If they are driven too hard even one day, all the animals could die. Please, my Lord, go ahead of your servant. We will follow slowly at a pace that is comfortable for the livestock and the children. I will meet you at Seir. What's he saying? Jacob provided the leadership that would not jeopardize those that were vulnerable. The vulnerable ones were the young ones, the young animals, the young children, and the parents with those young children. They couldn't keep that pace. It would be detrimental to their well-being. And so he said, you go and go ahead of us. We're going to meet up there with you, but we'll get there in due time. Today, there are those that are vulnerable. We've got the young, we've got the elderly, those that have immune deficiencies and so on. And as a result, we have to consider that. And we have to honor that. And we that are strong in the Lord need to realize we have a need to reach out and help them along the way. Not to put them in jeopardy. In other words, we should lead by looking at the weakest and saying we're here to help you along the way to succeed. In the book of Romans chapter 13, this kind of ties it together and says it all. Look at verse 10. This is from God's words translation. Love never does anything that is harmful to a neighbor. Therefore, love fulfills Moses' teaching. Love, in other words, fulfills the law. We're to operate in the law of love and faith works by love. And if we love those that are vulnerable, we love those that are in a situation where they can, let's say, be harmed or they would be in jeopardy as a result of coming together and gathering with other people. We don't want to put them in that position. We want to stand together as a church body, believing God for protection and safety, and believing God for these other people to come in and be cared for and loved. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, and this is my closing text, New Living Translation, For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for Him and how you have shown your love to Him. How? By caring for other believers as you still do. So in other words, we believe in divine healing. We believe in divine protection. We believe our God is greater than COVID-19. We also believe we have a need to reach out to those no matter what level of faith they're at and see to it that we provide a safe environment for them, that we're here to help them grow in their Christian faith and experience, and that we're here to see that they're not in jeopardy as a result of doing something that would, let's say, violate any laws that we, we've been handed down. And so I encourage all of us to be of the same mind, one heart, 
one mind, one accord, speaking the same things, saying the same things, and looking forward to that day, praise God, when we can once again meet together and praise God, bring the house down by the glory of God. We know that greater is he who is in us than he that is in this world. And he's in each and every one of us and he's greater. We also know we're at different levels of faith. And by faith, we tap into the resources that have been provided for us in Christ. And so by faith, we can rise up to a higher place and stand against it using every force we possibly can. Naturally, medically, spiritually, operating in the law of life that is in Christ Jesus that enables us to rise up above the law of sin and death. Praise God, we can do all things through Christ who is the strength of our lives. We believe it. We're changed by the word of God. So praise God, join together with us. Take a stand against this darkness. Believe it's dispelled in Jesus' name and that we are victorious over it. As a people, as a church, even as a nation, praise God, we have the victory.